Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Today is October 8, 2021. The Coconuts Podcast is your home for top trending news and pop culture from all across Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Nurul Azlia. And I'm Andre Nasri. Hi, Nurul. Hello. Long time to speak. How are you? Yes, I'm good. How are you? It's our first time on co- on a podcast together, right? Oh, is it? I wow. think so too. Or maybe, I don't know, the pandemic has affected my uh, memory. Because <laughs> apparently that's a, that's a fact, you know. I uh, read somewhere that um, I think it's because of staying at home for too long or just being in isolation for too long, which is practically my life for the past two years. Uh, mm-hmm. It can actually affect your your memory. You can become more forgettable. Everything just blurred into one? Yeah. Like what happened a year ago? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm hoping that you're, you're staying safe with all the rising cases in Singapore. <laughs> yes. I don't know about you, but I can go to, to the mall now. So happy times and... here in <laughs> Indonesia. Because <laughs> we love our malls. Yay, malls! From a man painting artwork with his pee-pee to alien worshippers in Bangkok, Coconut TV brings you wacky and impactful documentaries from all across the region. Don't miss out. Head over to our Coconut TV YouTube channel to subscribe and enjoy. And our top stories for the week. We go to Bali. Breaking news! Sorry. So, um, the Bali airport is going to start welcoming foreign travelers starting on October 14th. That is next week. So, Indonesia has a specific date for the reopening of Bali, the long-awaited reopening of Bali, to international travelers, as one of the country's top officials announced that the province's airport will start welcoming foreign visitors on October 14th. The long-awaited announcement came from Coordinating Maritime Affairs and Investment Minister Luhut bin Sarpanjaitan, who stressed that foreign visitors must quarantine for a minimum of eight days upon arrival, and are expected to show proof of hotel booking for this purpose, among other requirements. Um, uh, Noral, do you want to go to Bali on October 14th? Uh, no, actually. I still have oh. uh, COVID anxiety. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to let everyone travel first. All the same, because Singaporeans aren't on the list, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> to, uh, it's to, okay, uh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> to quote Lohut, listing the countries that are going to be allowed into Bali. So he said, there are several countries we will be open to, South Korea, China, Japan, the United Arab Emirates, and also New Zealand. Mm. No yeah, Singapore. but do they want to open to do they want to open to Bali? That's another question. Yeah. They haven't said anything for the record. <laughs> um, <laughs> so further details have yet to be announced at this point. But as have been the case with previous major announcements regarding COVID-19 restrictions in Indonesia, they should be expected from other officials in the next few days. So during the press conference, Luhut also reminded Indonesians not to refrain from excessive euphoria amid the loosening of restrictions as the country's COVID-19 numbers continue to decline. I don't know, man. Um, Bali in October, it's like approaching rainy season. I, I, I wouldn't want to go now. <laughs> Yeah, Wait maybe wrong year. wrong strategy, dude. Yeah, I, um, they're, they're probably so desperate for tourists. I'm like, fuck it, open it. <laughs> Anyways, let's go to Bangkok, shall we? Exciting stuff. So there's mm. this Bangkok bar that has reopened to sell newly legalized drug. Though Bangkok has been surging back to life, its nightlife venues remain barred from opening, much to the pain of their owners. But there's now a trendy cocktail bar eschewing the booze in favor of getting patrons high on a drug that recently meant going to jail. The bartenders behind what is formerly known as Teens of Thailand, that's the name of the bar, have announced that they are now open again as Tom of Thailand. That's the new name. (laughs) So it's named after the psychoactive Kratom drug now found in their drinks. So Thailand recently... It used, to, it used to list that drug as a class 5 narcotic, but they lifted it and made it legal in August, allowing everyone in Thailand to grow and sell the new cash crop. 
And the bar is using that to to boost their business and is now opening and serving them as drinks every day from 1 p.m. till 8:30 p.m. Wow. Question. Yeah, don't, yeah. But you don't you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Um, mm. what are the effects of kratom? Have you ex- ever experienced like a kratom high? No, actually, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it's uh, it it makes you hallucinate, right? I mean that those are that's that's one of the things that people have mentioned about it. Uh, it makes you hallucinate, yeah. But then Kinda again, like I'm I'm not sure if uh there's a difference between the one in Thailand or the one in Malaysia because in Malaysia. They also have it, but it's called something else. It's called ketum. Mm, um, but yeah, they're yeah. essentially like the same. And um, because of Thailand's um, decision to legalize kratom in the area, now Malaysia is a bit paranoid and trying to strengthen their border security because they're afraid that people would be supplying the leaves from Malaysia and bringing it up north. Yeah, it's not. I mean, there are no like plantations in Malaysia, but the the trees actually grow naturally in some rural areas, and people will go yeah, around and find um, them. And like, yeah, I think there's been a bit of a movement in um, some parts of Indonesia where there are actually kratom plantations. There's a bit of a push to legalize it as well. Mm-hmm. I think it is it is a class something narcotic here, um, but I think um, politicians are seeing that you know perhaps. There is money to be made out of this. So, <laughs> anyway, <Yay>, money, <laughs> money. We need it. It's a pandemic. We need more of it. Um, moving on to Hong Kong, where they just saw the hottest September on record. So in Hong Kong, the monthly mean maximum temperature was 32.8 degrees Celsius, which is 2.3 degrees above the average between 1981 when the records first began and 2020. But last September, the monthly mean temperature was 28.4 degrees, according to official data. That's a bit of a jump, hey? Whoa! Yeah, so, man. So um, yeah, uh, climate change deniers, and listen to this. <laughs> There was also a record total of 15 very hot days this September. A weather warning designated by the observatory when the maximum temperature reaches 33 degrees. And um, average temperatures in Hong Kong have been trending upwards, and extreme weather events become more frequent in recent decades. Human-induced climate change, the observatory writes on its website, has become a major challenge of our time. According to the August report, the summer from June to August was quote much hotter than usual, with a mean temperature of 29.1 degrees, the sixth highest on record compared to the same period. Yay! Uh, how Singapore? How hot is Singapore um, this year? We had our hottest month in like decades in July. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Oh, I think one of the I think the temperature went up like the highest was I think 34 degrees Celsius if I'm not wrong and that is sweltering. Okay, it's like it's almost that, dangerous to be out. Just stay in. Yeah, yeah. That, that that is stupid hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I grew up I grew up in the Middle East, right? And like it's su- in summer it reaches like you know upwards of 50 degrees Celsius, mm. but 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 they never really had the kind of humidity that we have here. Mm, where yes. if it's like 30 degrees you step out for five minutes and you sweat like a yeah mm-hmm. like a something yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so is it better to be in a humid place in a hot and humid place or in a hot and dry place i prefer hot and dry okay but then i was brought up there so i don't know right your body's conditioned to that yeah. kind of climate okay because yeah. when i was in like if i were to be in australia i was in australia mm. for a bit and then in the summer Can nearly kill me because the it was so hot and because there's no humidity and I cannot like perspire, so I just feel like I'm burning up. Uh, ah, yeah. Because yeah. I feel like perspiring can I don't know. This is my theory. I I feel like perspiring can stabilize the temperature in my body, but maybe it's just a science theory that I came up with myself. <laughs> but you're not a smelly man like me. Like if if I sweat that much, oh man, I just don't even think about it. How bad I just stay inside. Turn on yeah, the AC. Exactly. Yeah. 
All right, Jakarta. Damn, this story is something. <laughs> Bras are a source of deceit and should be ditched. Islamic website asserts. Wow. Yeah. Most probably set up by men. Oh, absolutely. He- like we we did look into this, and yeah, they were run by <laughs> the website was run by men. Absolutely, you are correct. I am not surprised. Okay, an Islamic education website's unironic call to ditch bras in the name of modesty has garnered controversy in Indonesia, prompting the nation's highest clerical body to wade in on the perky issue. Good one, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> all right, so the website's name is Taman Sole. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, Taman so like, That often highest friend. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. A website that often publishes interpretations of religious texts using the Salafi lens, which is a movement that espouses a literal, unadulterated, and quote unquote pure form of Islam, whatever that means mm. these days. Mm. Recently posted a couple of articles on the brasier, specifically how un-Islamic they seemingly are. Why? <laughs> Interesting, huh? <laughs> the articles were published on August 29th, but have been taken down due to the public outcry, obviously, after the content went viral in the past couple of days. But... The internet never forgets because they are mm. archived versions of them. And one of the articles that was viewed by us said that said this about wearing a bra based on its interpretation of a fatwa or religious edicts from Saudi Arabia. So it says, wearing a bra accentuates the shape of the breasts, making women appear younger, and as such, making them a source of deceit. What are they? Why do they make breasts sound like they're Botox? <laughs> <laughs> Women appear younger, seriously? Because of this... Well, yeah, it's, for the, it's because of the lift, right? Or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> lift of deception. There we go. <laughs> because, yeah, because of this supposed lift of deception, women are, quote, forbidden from wearing a bra in front of men who are not their mahram, which is an Islamic term meaning unmarriable kin, which, is, which usually applies to immediate family members and the husband. So, mm. of course... That's not to say that the website is telling women to go around naked. As the website says in another article, that women must dress modestly and cover themselves so their curves are obscured, revealing only their face and hands. <laughs> mm. The no bra rule also applies to women during ta'aruf, meeting, which means meeting a prospective marriage partner without dating. How does that work? Is this a meeting, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, like meeting a prospective husband or wife. But like Whoa. that's your you just meet once and then you go straight into marriage. Yeah. It's wow. like the, that's how they traditionally did it apparently. In yeah. quote unquote pure version of Islam. Yeah. Right. Man, that is speed dating on another level. Mm. And um well, thankfully the Indonesian Ulema Council set the record straight by saying that yes, women should wear bra in public. Please do not take off your bra and please do not throw away your bras, women. So there's this uh, person, Afifuddin Muhajir, who chairs the Fatwa department, said, wear a bra when you leave the house. Wow, that is such an important statement. <laughs> and he went on, women without bras are not covered perfectly. A message to Muslim women, wear clothes that adequately cover your private parts. I cannot believe I'm reading this. This is for real. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, okay, aside from taking down the bra-related articles, the website has not issued any statements on the matter. Gosh, another day, Man, uh, another... Yeah, uh, someone exactly. someone wrote, I think um, uh, one of our social media copy editors wrote, they want uh, women to ditch the bra, but not free the nipple. That is what is happening with the story, right? <laughs> oh my God! So yeah, so like they want whatever's in between. Now, as a woman, how do you feel about this? Uh, how do I feel? I feel like smacking oh. someone's face. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, seriously? Ditch the bra? <laughs> Come on, man. Pick on something else. Yeah. Another day of uh, men trying to control a women's body. What's new? Yep. Well, yeah, it's pretty depressing. Ugh. Well, let's go, let's go somewhere pretty um, uplifting this time. Uh, we go to Coconut Scale where we wrote an article about a Penang dessert cafe 
that lets patrons play Squid Game. Have you watched it? Yes, I did. Mm. I watched it. I liked it. But then, when uh, now that all the hype, like I'm been exposed to so much hype about the show online, and suddenly I don't like it anymore. Oh, Does yeah. it make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, <laughs> I don't know what is the word to describe. We talked this about it to death, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But like, I, I know last week I said I I stayed away from it because I'm a pedantic loser because I thought it was like a series of games. And therefore, it had, there had to be an S at the end of Squid Games. And I'm like, hey, I'm not going to watch it because it's not grammatically accurate. But then mm. um, Summer explained to me that the title was in reference to the one of the games, which yeah. turned out to be the case. But anyway, yeah. I did watch it eventually and I did finish it. But I, like, it's fine. I don't think it's groundbreaking. I, 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 like, I think the idea of Playground Nostalgia um, really played a part in its popularity. Yes. But like... It's not really that great. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> but you but you were right about um as in I kind of misunderstood the game bit. Mm, like mm. I thought every episode was a form of a squid game. Then I yeah, realized, exactly. oh, is that is that last squid game is just that last game. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not even like central to the story. But yeah, they made it but, the, na- the the name of the show. Right? But there's so many other things that got lost in translation on the show. So apparently the subtitles weren't even accurate. Like didn't really oh. reflect the nuance of what oh, yeah. the actors were uh, were saying. Yeah, so I feel very sad for the writers who put in so much effort in trying to, you know, reflect society as much as possible. Because every role actually reflects a certain part of community in South Korea. So you have, like the like like the old like the senior citizen who is frail and like nobody cares about the old people. So, mm. so that kind of reflects that. And then you have the only minority race guy who oh, yeah. is supposed to reflect the migrant worker community mm. in, uh, in South Korea. Yeah. So every single person re- represents. Yeah. But okay. The ca- thanks capitalist to- douchebag. Mm. Mm. Right. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, anyways, writer, writers can take comfort in knowing that their what they have created has had massive cultural impact everywhere, including in Malaysia, where mm-hmm. you know Mal- Malaysians can now expect to get a discount when they play South Korean childhood games at a cafe in Penang. Mm-hmm. And like like many other marketing stunts, this is also inspired by the much hyped psycho psycho thriller series Squid Game, except. That Malaysians successfully carve out a star onto a block of sugar will not be walking away with 4.56 billion won, which is 3.8 million US dollars, but at least customers of the Tianyuan dessert cafe will get 4.56 ringgit off their bill. Ah, they they, that's, like, that's pretty cute, but like that's not a lot. That's like a dollar, man. Yeah. Uh, so the sad. The stakes aren't that high. Compared to the show here. <laughs> I want anyway. to take the real squid game. I'll take the real squid game. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the game is called the Honeycomb Challenge and is one of many that was featured in the show where debt-ridden South Koreans go through a series of games to win money. And the die. Cafe ser- yeah. The cafe serves traditional Chinese desserts like fried pancake, red bean, and sweet potato soup, as well as noodles with broth. Other games include playing with marbles and the uh, Dakji, where players attempt to flip each each other's cards. No prizes for winning these two games, though, but at least you'll feel like you were a part of one of Netflix's most watched TV series. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna go over to Penang just for four fifty six ringgit. So <laughs> screw that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be other cafes doing the same thing in Indonesia as well. So. Oh, everyone is like uh, jumping on the Squid Game bandwagon for anything. Even in Malaysia, mm. the the they have this the their railway operator is also using Squid Game to encourage people to use their fare cards, like the transportation cards, uh, train cards, whatever you call it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we are going to Manila. No, actually, we are going to Dubai. So in Dubai, oh. Philippines have a pavilion at the Expo Twenty Twenty. 
like a world fair in Dubai. Mm. So for the Philippines, they're showcasing the best of contemporary art there. Over 5,000 visitors experienced their showcase called the Bangkota. The Philippine Pavilion at Expo 2020 Dubai when the prestigious World Fair opened earlier this week. At 1,386 square meters, the Bangkota is the largest pavilion the Philippines has showcased in any expo. It is named after the old Tagalog word for coral reef. The pavilion is described as an, quote, epic symphony of nature, art, and architecture that tells the story of the 4,000-year journey of Filipinos from prehistoric roots to today. The pavilion was designed by visionary architect Royal Pineda of Butji Plus Royal, that is the uh, design firm name, which takes natural and organic shape of the coral reef, drawing visitors into free-flowing open spaces that included visual installations, musical scoring, along with updated scientific information about Philippine history. I'd love to get high on Kratom and go watch this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <trippy>. that's right. <laughs> Must be the kratom. <laughs> yep, yep. The pavilion features a high-profile roster of collaborators curated by Pastor Pastor Roses, notably national artist for music Ramon P. Santos, while 10 of the most prominent artists in the country contributed to the exhibit. Led by the Department of Trade and Industry, the pavilion is meant to showcase globally recognized and up-and-coming Filipino creative minds and talents. The Expo 2020 Dubai, originally scheduled to be held last year, is the latest World Expo edition carrying on the centuries-old tradition since it was first held in London in 1851. I don't really know a lot of background about this Expo 2020. I know that hmm. Singapore took part in it as well. The showcase that Singapore gave, it was basically like a replica of Gardens by the Bay. Yeah. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's like Just, probably the best thing you could make a replica out of in Singapore. Um, yeah, I don't know. It seems like Singapore's go-to when it comes to like uh, design is just creating just whatever odd structures and then just plastering leaves all over it. That just seems to be the <laughs> go-to. <laughs> There's probably like a whole philosophical reason behind that, but I'm no architecture expert. Mm. So. And in Singapore, because, you know, COVID-19 self-test self kits are moving fast due, due to elevated Singapore demand. So um, COVID-19 antigen rapid test kits are flying off the shelves of pharmacies as more Singaporeans are getting tested. Pharmacies are trying their best to supply those testing themselves for the coronavirus at home after the nation set new daily infection records this month. Sales for cheaper brands are thriving with some out of stock while others remain available. To quote NTUC Fairprice, who owns the Unity Pharmacies, demand for antigen rapid test kits have, has been elevated in the past month as the number of COVID cases climb. We expect additional stocks to arrive over the next few days. It added that it was working to obtain more from suppliers. Though there are seven kits that are uh, Health Sciences Authority approved and sold at major pharmacies island-wide, only two were seen at stores checked out by coconuts recently. So upon visits to Watson's, Guardian, and Unity outlets around Tampanese, Bukit Batok, and Harborfront all had many SD Biosensor Standard Q COVID-19 AG home test and stock, including pack boxes behind the cashiers. They were priced at twelve ninety Singapore dollars per kit. Is this this is like the common thing now? Like you test uh, self testers um, mm -hmm. everywhere in Singapore. Yes. So the hey, government has. Uh, well, I don't. I'm not required to because it really depends on the situation. Like if I have to go back to work, maybe I might need to regularly test myself. Or if the government contact me and say that I'm a close contact of someone, then I will have to test myself. Yeah. So basically, it's just good. It's just a. No, it's a new normal thing to have um, test kits at home these days in Singapore. Oh. Like okay, everyone so has it now. Interesting. Yeah. But like. Do you still have um, operational like COVID nineteen test labs? Uh, like, is there like a place where we all go to to get tested? Yeah, yeah like what we still have here in Indonesia. There are still yeah, so we still have those, but and they've also like kind of set up makeshift 
testing areas now so you can see them at community centers or i mean there's one just in front of the mall where i stay here um so mm -hmm. they've set up makeshift centers there but uh now they've also distributed test kits to our homes but obviously when once they run out you have to go and buy yourself um to so that you can just test yourself at home yeah so they're they're just decentralizing all the efforts they're just distributing like everyone do your part and test yourself and check yourself and like recover yourself yeah, yeah and i don't think it, that can happen here because you know all the labs are privately owned like i don't think they'd want to lose that business Mm, no I mean, mean? the yeah. test kits that we get are uh, the the ones that we have at home would be the uh, ERT, which is the antigen test kits. Mm -hmm. um, but the PCR test, that's the one where you would like go to the clinic or go to the hospital to get tested. That okay or that okay. yeah. Mm. So in like if you if you test yourself at home, mm. um, whatever result you get, do you log it in like an app or something, uh, or is it just like for personal use? There is like a, there's like a, uh, so if you're at home, um, there will be, it's either someone will be assigned to you as like your COVID buddy mm -hmm. to like update you on what to do next, that kind of thing. And then there's also like a form, online form you can fill to like include your name, age and like your house, whether you have any symptoms or not, um, that, and then, yeah. And then you just isolate at home. Oh, until okay. you feel better, yeah. So th th this is not official, but um, my friends have been. This is what my friends have been doing. Like every time they test, like using ART, the test kit, they always test themselves three times to make sure that. So if they get negative test results three times, the likelihood of them not having COVID is there. But if they test positive three times, then that's when they would like go to the clinic and most probably for the PCR. Yeah, most probably yeah. yeah for the PCR, most probably get um taken to a separate isolation center. Interesting. I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. it's it. This is one way to uh, get over the uh, the wave that you're currently on quickly, right? Yeah, <clears throat> but I think one one of the most important thing about it is that they um they, they we don't overburden the healthcare facilities because we're all mm. like self-service <laughs> we're mm. serving ourselves yeah so i guess it helps i just can't imagine like shoving it up my own nose like i like it you have to go pretty deep right uh, i i don't know if i can get accurate results from you know apprehensively sticking the swab up my nostrils yeah you're right i think i i won't be able i would need someone to help me with that <laughs> oh man <laughs> Someone you trust, preferably. <laughs> yeah. All anyway, right. Um, sorry, to go back to the story. Um. Uh. So the most common kids that are selling like hotcakes are those that give the most bang for the buck. Probably heard of these brands. So the Abbott's Pan Bio COVID nineteen antigen self test is priced a dollar cheaper, and SD Biosensors five kits is one forty six Singapore dollars can save close to twenty. Singapore dollars. That's on. That's that's not expensive at all, right? Uh, no, I think it's okay. Or like it's reasonable. a bundle of them. Yeah, mm, yeah. Did people. I, uh... Some people are like buying in bulk. Like I saw a food panda delivery guy. Like he he went to the Guardian Pharmacy outlet and picked out like twenty boxes, and that was just for one order. Wow. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, Singapore recently hit an all time high of three thousand four hundred eighty six cases in a day. And nine more deaths since the outbreak began. Springs to a total of more than 100,000 infections and 130 deaths. I mean, still comparatively low, uh, I would say, to, well, for one, Indonesia. But yeah, could, um, <laughs> stay safe over there. Yeah. Okay, I am going to fly to Yangon because... For this our, dude. Yes, for the Myanmar heartthrob. Trial delays to cost Myanmar heartthrob another six months in prison. No! Model oh. actor Pang Takon has languished behind bars in a notorious Yangon prison because his trial on defamation charges has been delayed months. Due to the proliferation of COVID-19 at insane prison, that's insane, outbreaks inmates have said the authorities have done little to contain Pang Takon's attorney Kim Maung Mint said 
His trial, which was facing a now impossible verdict deadline, has been cancelled and will have to start anew. Man, they have to, they're back to square one. Mm. So the lawyer said, our previous cross-examination has been postponed. Everything will have to be planned from the beginning and we'll have to figure out how to do it all over again. See, after the February coup, the junta mandated that regular trials be resolved within 180 days. Pantacon's trial began May 4th and therefore must conclude by November 4th. Obviously, he can't make it now. Restarting mm. his trial will mean consigning him and other defendants in the same situation to upward of another six months behind bars. Those new rules also require court hearings every two weeks. So, just recently, he got a new hearing date of October 13 after a three-month delay. The actor was arrested April 8 at his home in North Dagon, Yangon and accused of defaming the junta under Section 505A of the Criminal Procedure Code. The actor has a huge following outside of Myanmar as well and this is so sad. He just turned 25 and he was behind oh, us. But you know who he looks like? You know who he reminds me of? Who? Aquaman. But like with softer features and no facial hair. <laughs> Oh, the is the the photo of him with his yeah. bare chested tattooed chest. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And plus I guess his tattoos kinda make him look like Aquaman as well. What are the tattoos? Like snake test tattoos, right? They look like I think that's scales. a heart on, on the left side of his chest. Right. And, and okay. And, oh my like, god, do you see like horns coming out of his um genitals mm. air genital area? <laughs> Why has nobody mentioned this? <laughs> Sheesh. All anyway, right. Yeah, check, check out Coconut Triangle and, and, and the story if you want to take a look, get a good look at this guy and his mm. horny tattoos. <laughs> <clears throat> awesome stuff. Okay. Um, I really hope he stays safe in there, man, because how... Re- yeah, how and everyone in Yangon, really? obviously. Yes. And yeah. Yanmar, I- that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the people in the insane prison... Our guest this week is Manila reporter Sam Beltran, who will share with us all her juicy analysis and observation about Miss Universe Philippines, who recently got um, a lot of queer phobia reaction just because she's openly gay. Mm. Let's hear it out. Awesome. So we're joined by Coconuts Manila reporter Sam Beltran, who will talk to us about a story she recently did about queer phobia within the Miss Universe Philippines pageant. Hi, Samantha. Sorry, Welcome, Sam. Samantha. I call you Sam. Yes, um, yes. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. This is my debut. I'm just going to uh, get us going and with this sure. um, pretty... I wouldn't say depressing. Okay, it's pretty depressing. Um, coming out <laughs> from the Philippines, so it's not can depressing. You give, can you give us an idea? Infuriating to me. It sounds infuriating. infuriating yes, yes, as well. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so who is? Like- so who is this uh, Beatrice Luigi Gomez? Can you tell us about her? Sure. Um, so Beatrice Luigi Gomez is the latest winner of the Miss Universe Philippines 2021 pageant, and I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but you know, the pageant scene in the Philippines is crazy. I mean, if oh, everybody yes. else has football, practically, like, we have pageants and basketball. Yeah, you, you guys dominate the field. No, like, right, because yeah. we're, we're, right, we're crazy about it. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that, in, in, in a way, actually, like, the national pageants here are a lot more competitive than the international ones. So, you know, so that's really kind of an image to play our play around you know um and the miss universe pageant is probably among all pageants it's probably the most loved of all i mean it's regarded by a lot as the most prestigious title to probably win um, mm-hmm. in the country and it's it's pretty much a big deal when when you when you win the miss universe um philippines pageant and you're sent to the miss universe contest but yeah so she is the latest winner she came from cebu city which is one of the major cities in the philippines uh, she's won other pageant titles before. She won Miss Mandawe, which is um, it's basically a city within Cebu 
in 2015. And then she won Binibining Cebu, which is Miss Cebu, in 2020. And, you know, she's pretty much everything that you want in a pageant queen. You know, she she's tall. She's pretty. She has a really nice smile. She speaks well. You know, she she does community work. And I'm aware that she's also a Philippine Navy reservist, which mm. I get mm. to some people. That's, that's you know, it's, it's, it's a great resume that you could have for a title holder. And she won. And she's pr- practically everything that you want. You know, she's conventionally attractive. You know, save for the fact that she is um, the first openly LGBTQ winner to come out of the of the pageant, right? So, right. and that's come right. out. That's caused a bit of um, controversy. But before we right. go into all that, um, you know, uh, are, do Filipinos have high hopes for her at the next Miss Universe contest? Uh, you know, yes and no, because like I said, you know, the um, the pageant scene is crazy in the in the Philippines. And, you know, the Miss Universe pageant is the most beloved of all. So choosing actually the Miss, the next Miss Universe representative, you know, it's, it's a bit like anointing the next queen. You know, it's, it's kind of like how other, you know, other countries may have royalty. Um, we don't, I mean, we used to, but we don't now. So when, when you're in that spotlight, you know, you're, you're on a pedestal, but at the same time, you're under very watchful eyes. So Philippine and you know Filipinos they will always have their own bet to win like like I mentioned you know it's it's a very competitive contest here in the Philippines so they will probably have their own opinions on who should win but you know um in all fairness to her like she came from a very strong batch of candidates this year but she did she she was and she did emerge as one of the top you know contenders to really beat in the competition so yes and no like we definitely have high hopes like does she fit the mold of probably the next Miss Universe, yes, in a way, but also no, because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, apprehension about her sexuality and how she expresses herself. Right. But do people think that her sexuality might affect her performance in the international round? Was that one of the things that contributing to their fear? Other than queerphobia, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I, I, I understand where you're getting at. And I think in a certain sense... I'm not really sure that it's been part of the conversation and how it would affect her performance. But I guess in a way it does affect perceptions of her as, you know, as a title holder, because we do have a very strict perception of what we think a beauty pageant queen should be. And it's probably the same image that they would want other people to see to the world. You know, it's it's a lot like how, you know, your beauty queen shouldn't be embroiled in any scandal, shouldn't probably have, you know, post for for, for an adult magazine, you know, things like that. You know, it's it's a very you know, conservative view of of what a beauty queen should be like. And I guess that's where a lot of the, yeah, that, that's where a lot of the the apprehension, a lot of the controversy is, is coming from. Mm. Interesting. But yeah, one's sexuality ostensibly shouldn't be a scandal, uh, mm. um, scandalous matter. But so can I just clarify, like, has she always been open about her sexual identity or was this like a recent admission, like her being bisexual? Right. Um, in all fairness to her, she seems to have always been open about her sexuality. Even when she was beginning in the pageant scene, you know, even when she was starting out in the Miss Mandawe and the Miss Cebu pageants, um, you know, she's had news articles in the past about her where she's acknowledged her sexuality. She's acknowledged her girlfriend. I think they've been together for like five to six years. So it's never been been a secret. And there have been a handful of candidates, I guess, especially like in the recent years where they say, oh, I'm bisexual. But they've never really won, which is probably why it was never much of a controversy in the past as it is now. Because mm. right now, she's actually won. And, you know, she she was chosen. She was picked. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm curious to know why there is a difference in reaction towards her considering that she's been open about her sexuality for quite some time already. Yeah. Like, right. is, it, is it because of the magnitude of Miss Universe as a competition? I definitely think it has to do with the magnitude of Miss Universe mm. and the perceptions of, of Miss Universe. Um, you know, I'm not much of a pageant expert to say if she mm. had won another title, would it, would it have been much of a controversy? But definitely, you know, Miss Universe here is held in, in such high regard. You know, you're, mm. you're practicing like a national hero like if, if if you've seen the parades of winners when they come home after winning the, the mm. title it, it's crazy it's like you know it's it's like you you save the world or cured cancer or, or something it's like uh-huh. the, the yeah the magnitude is is crazy as well which is why 
you know, and again, it's a lot like treating them as royalty. So everybody has their own perception of what a pageant queen should be, of what, you know, a Miss Universe should be. Because this person doesn't just represent and go out to win the title. This person is treated as a representative of the culture and a representative of the people. And I guess when those values don't align with what they believe in, and the Philippines is predominantly a Catholic country, there's where a lot of the pushback is probably coming from. Mm-hmm. So yeah, speaking of, the, of that pushback, can you describe to us um, the negative reactions that to her victory? Well, again, aside from the you know the usual cattiness of of the pageant scene, where you know fans would have their own opinions about who should have won, a lot of the reactions were mostly centered around her sexuality. You know, you see people posting, "Oh, is is this um, is this Miss LGBT International? This isn't Miss Universe anymore." Or you know, you would see somebody say oh, but she's a lesbian. Why did she win? Or, you know, you would see somebody, like, for example, I know somebody close to me who who said, I I don't like the fact that she won as Miss Universe Philippines because it feels like the Miss Universe title has lost its its prestige. You know what I oh, mean? Wow. And, and, when, and when you really think about it, it's like, why? At the end of the day, she joined the competitions. She, she aced the challenges. She looked great in a gown. She looked great in a swimsuit. She answered the questions the way people would want her to answer. Like, why wouldn't she win? But then, you know, like, again, it's held in such high regard that it's not just about winning. It's not just about the title. It's not just about the crown. It's about what this person represents and how this person represents, you know, the, the country to the world. So, yeah, so it's really funny, actually, because also pageantry makes up a huge part of the LGBT culture here. And, you know, the scene, it's built on the backs of the LGBT community. I mean, aside from the national director is, you know, identifies as, as a member of the LGBT community. You have, you know, the fashion designers, you have the, the makeup artists, you have the stylists. And, you know, like a, a huge part of the, the, the fan culture is really comes from the LGBT community. But, you know, there's still a perception that still stands on what makes the perfect beauty queen, you know, that this person should be, you know, answer answers things like, oh, I want world peace. Oh, you know, the essence of being a woman is being a mother. You know, th- things things like those. Hmm. So much of... Um, so th- so I think what how I see it is, um, is that probably they are okay with people of the LGBT community being there, but but maybe in the background. They just want them to Correct. be in the background and nowhere near the crown and especially nowhere near the holy grail that is Miss Universe. No, that is absolutely. a bit hypocrit- hypocritical though, no? Mm-hmm. Right, right. No, ab- absolutely. Like that's such a, that's such an, an accurate observation. You know, again, I, I mean, it's, it's not just the pageants, right? It's showbiz in general. It's entertainment mm. in general, you know? A huge part of the industry, like fashion, for example, it's built on the backs of LGBT, you know, people from the LGBT community. You know, again, fashion designers, makeup artists, hairstylists, all that. But again, it's it has a lot to do, I think, with how the LGBT community is really perceived here in the Philippines. Like they're okay when they ser- when they serve your purpose. You know, it's like people saying, mm. "Oh, you know, I can't be a bigot because I have so many LGBT friends. I have a lot of gay friends. They make me laugh. You know, they're the funniest people in the group." You know, things like those, whenever they, right? So whenever they serve that purpose, whenever they serve a purpose that is convenient to you or that is agreeable to you, then they're okay. Mm. But when a Miss Universe queen comes out and she's literally supposed to be like some sort of royalty or whatever, you know, it's, it's kind of like how your favorite celebrity probably shouldn't be gay or shouldn't be a lesbian because it ruins that kind of, you know, that, that kind of image. Then that's where it becomes, you know, like that's where the pushback comes from. Like, for example, um, one of the biggest celebrities here is an L- is a member of the LGBT community, and you know you you see it in in the way that um, she expresses herself. Like um, the name is Vice Ganda, so though so he's actually one of the biggest celebrities here. But again, you know, like he's a comedian and everything. But you probably wouldn't get the same reaction towards him if he were like probably like a leading man or a leading lady. You know, you can't have those gender bending roles when it comes to, you know, the, the leading men or the, the A-listers here. Of course. Unless unless you're taking in a role where you can be laughed at. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Which is you know, yeah. mm-hmm. right. And that's that, that's really another thing, you know. Um they're okay whenever they, they serve a purpose to entertain you, which is normally to be laughed at. You know, you, you mm-hmm. can't, you know, a, a symbol of attraction, for example. Mm. Well, speaking yeah. of that, we saw um, comments about people thinking that Beatrice was transsexual. 
How did right. that come about? Right. Okay, so when she won, so obviously this was covered by a lot of major news outlets because again, it's it's a big deal. It's you know, it's headlining stuff. It's the kind of thing that you read next thing in the morning, and it's you know, it's one of the top headlines. So uh, a lot of major outlets reported her as the first openly gay winner of the pageant. So you would see it in, in their captions in the headlines. And you know, of course, there are tweets that show support for her that say things like, Oh, the gays are winning, congratulations to Beatrice. Um, and this is where a lot of the confusion has stemmed because locally, a Filipino's perception of the LGBTQ community, you know, it's it's very limited. You know, you're either baklak, which, which translates is... to biologically born male, but with the feminine gender expression and typically is attracted to men, mm. or you're tomboy, mm. which is taken from, you know, the, the English word, which is tomboy which mm-hmm. refers to biologically born females with a masculine gender expression. So, bakla is the closest word that we have to gay. So, when you're a kid, you know, you're in elementary school and you act a little feminine, you act a little soft, you know, you're teased as bakla. So, imagine when, 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 when the captions came out, like in English, as the first openly gay winner and people translate gay to bakla. So, you know, there's, there, there isn't a lot of local nuance as to who falls under which. So mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the confusion came from. And it's where a lot of people misunderstood as, oh, this person is openly gay. This person is bakla. So this person is biologically male, but dresses as female. You know, there, there isn't a lot of nuance as to, you know, what a lesbian is or what a, you know, what a trans woman is, for example, or like, could you be a lesbian but still be feminine? Or could you be, you know, could you be attracted to men but still present yourself as masculine? Like, you know, there isn't a lot of nuance for that. So that's this, where the confusion came from. Yeah, so this is like exactly why people should read and meet right. other people. <laughs> no, but thanks to, Be- thanks to Beatrice, now everyone knows that, you know, it's not yeah. just two kinds of people in the LGBT community. There's a variety. It's a whole spectrum of different individuals. It's very diverse. No, right, mm-hmm. exactly. And again, like it's 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 a great point, Andra, that you know, people don't really read past the headlines or they don't read past the captions. They see something, they either scroll past it or you know, they they comment like like it's a knee-jerk reaction without actually yeah, reading the context. Mm. Well, um on the flip side, um, Sam, you know, has there been any support for Beatrice? Oh, there definitely is a lot of support for her. You know, I think the LGBT community definitely rallies behind her. Um, you could see it on Twitter. She has a lot of supporters there as well. And, you know, this is my own opinion. I, again, I'm not a pageant expert or anything, but, you know, each year you see winners, you know, they redefine their expectations. They come into their own individuality. And, you know, you see someone like Beatrice, you know, she's conventionally attractive. She's everything that you want in a candidate. But, you know, of course, she she's queer. You know, she's also tattooed, by the way, which isn't, you know, it's it's not really usual when it comes to our pageant winners. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, she's she's unapologetic for who she is. And although there are a lot that are taken aback, I think that it has inspired, um, you know, certain people as well. And, you know, there are people who are excited to see those kinds of, you know, those kinds of changes where she's bending certain expectations people have of a, of a Miss Universe winner. Sheesh. How, how has she been reacting to the attention that she's been getting? She seems to take it all in stride. We're not friends or anything, but I mm. see her social media posts. And she, she seems to take it all in stride. You know, she's dealt with it in the past. This isn't the first time her sexuality has been taken against her. She's dealt with it when she was Miss Madawa and she was Miss Cebu as well. She's come out speaking, of, like she's spoken out about it beforehand. And, you know, she, she said in a social media post before that she didn't feel like she owed anyone her identity because the people who knew her personally, like especially her family, whose opinions matter to her the most, they love her the way that she is. And but particular to her win in Miss Universe Philippines, I don't think that she's really come out with anything. But again, this isn't something like she's been down this road before. She, you know, it's not her first time. So I think, you know, definitely it's, you know, her opinion still still stand you know it's, it's still the same it's still the same view um what about her partner you know while we're at it has she has she been stressed out from all this is it, can you see um how she's reacted to all this again i think the i think both of them seem to take everything in stride um 
you, you see it on their social media. They haven't really spoken out about it. They haven't really addressed the criticisms, probably because they've been this, like they've been there before, you know, been there, done that. It doesn't seem like it's a new thing to them. Um, she, like the, the girlfriend, Kate, posted a very sweet social media post on Instagram. You know, she congratulated Bea on her win saying, you know, like, I never doubted you, things like those, you know, you've worked so hard for this. And, you know, they, she even thanked the pageant camp, you know, the trainers and also the the supporters who who came out and really, you know, rooted for her to win. So I am, yeah, I'm, I think they're not really addressing this as something that's, you know, like as a huge issue. They seem to be, you know, just just kind of like ignoring all the haters and, you know, just just doing their own thing. And that's really sweet. But then, you know, it's right. impressive at the same time, given that, um, you know, they have you said they have been through all this before, but this is arguably the grandest stage um, exactly. that they've gone through and the way that they're handling it. It's it's um, I guess it's good for their mental health and mental being. Right. Right, exactly. But, you know, I guess it's it's what they say about how, you know, your your past experiences really prepare you, they really equip you to handle whatever is in, is, is in front of you. So even though the magnitude or the scale of the Miss Universe Philippines pageant is really big, you know, it's it's not really new from, you know, fr- from whatever they've experienced in, in the past. So I guess that really contributes to, you know, a, a lot of how they're, they're treating the whole issue. Hmm. In your article, you said that um, Philippines has a long way to go in terms of LGBT acceptance. Were you su- were you surprised? You know, not really. So again, like I wasn't really surprised at all. Mm. Definitely, um, to be honest, I didn't watch the <laughs> the actual pageant because um, mm. it wasn't streamed on on TV like 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 the old ones were. Like you had to watch it and stream it on 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 a private provider or, or something like that. So I definitely woke up to the headlines, but I have followed it in the in you know in, in the weeks leading up to to the finals night. And then when she came out as the winner, well, she was always one of the front runners. You know she. She won a couple of the competitions, like she won best in evening gown, best in swimsuit, which is, you know, like really big categories. So it wasn't a surprise when she won, but definitely it wasn't a surprise when people started criticizing her based on her sexuality, you know, either. Uh, definitely, again, you know, a, a lot of the, the treatment against the LGBT community in the Philippines, it has a lot to do with tolerance rather than genuine acceptance. Hmm. So because of the fact that she doesn't fit, you know, the, the usual the, the usual mold of, of, a, of a Miss Universe winner, you know, like, like, I mean, I think it goes for for the rest of the pageants as well. You know, you can't even have so much as a single mom <laughs> as, as a winner. Like, you wow. Know, what, no, right. Right. Like, like you can't join the pageant. You can't be a winner once once you're a single mom. So what more when you don't fit that certain, you know, that certain image of what a woman is supposed to be and who a woman is supposed to be with? Hmm. What happens if another queer individual gets crowned next year? Will we see the same reaction, you think? You know, I think at that point, we probably you you probably still would just because you know, it has a lot to do with tradition. You know, people would be like, oh my God, like they did this last year and now they're going to do it this year. Like what's like, what hope do we have left? Are we even going to, going to win? But you know, then again, like now that I say that, I think it also is dependent on her performance in the upcoming Miss Universe pageant. You know, because the only thing, you know, the only thing left there to do is to actually win it. Right. And again, to her credit, you know, she's actually done well. It's not like people gave her like a token pass just because she's LGBT. And then, you know, they wanted like to play the diversity card or something. She actually was a front runner. And, you know, it's 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 been seen. She's been called a dark horse in this local competition. But, you know, to her credit, she's won four competitions. She won best in swimsuit, best in evening gown. She's won a couple of other sponsorship awards. So. You know, I mean, definitely she has what it takes to win the crown. And, you know, I guess if she shows, she proves people wrong that, you know, my sexuality has nothing to do with the fact that I could win the crown. You know, I could be like Catriona Gray. I could be like Thea Wurtzbach. Then probably that would change people's perceptions of, you know, maybe her sexuality, you know, maybe a pageant, like a title holder sexuality probably doesn't matter as much as we think it should. So maybe that's when, you know, that's when the the tides will change. Right, right. Um, Sam, let's talk politics. Sure. Okay. sure. I don't think um, I'm going to do so, but let's go for it. Uh, yeah, so we know that the Philippines is a pretty devout Catholic country, and that's right. the reason for all for a lot of the um, pushback against the LGBT community. But what role do you think the uh, Duterte administration has had, you know, with all its conservatism 
in like any setbacks in the uh, for LGBT acceptance in Philippines re- recently? Right. So I do think that the conversation surrounding um, the tolerance of the LGBT community in the Philippines, like this definitely has persisted way before Duterte. And, you know, like we're always continuously fighting towards gender equality. But definitely, you know, Duterte, he's never said anything outright against the LGBT community per se. Like, I mean, you won't catch him say any, you know, explicit quotes against them. And in fact, um, earlier into his presidency, he even said something along the lines of um, him possibly supporting same-sex marriage or same-sex unions in the Philippines, at least. Which is, you know, it's it's a very big topic in, in, in the Philippines, obviously, considering that, you know, like, we're, again, we're, we're a very devoutly Catholic country. But then again, you know, you see the man on television and I mean, I'm not sure how how much you follow Philippine politics, you guys, but you you, you see the image. He's very mm-hmm. he's very much yeah. a strong man. You know, he's he's very much you know like a like yeah like a macho strong man, and he's definitely said things against women at the very least. Like you know, he's made he's made rape jokes about women. You know, he's groped women that he visited abroad, like Filipinas abroad, and then you know gave gave her a kiss, like stole a kiss in in, in public, and he's even said something along the lines of you know, oh you know what I was. Gay once, but good thing I was cured. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> she said that? Wow. Right? Yeah. Sorry, you know, the most macho man coming on TV saying, you know, yeah. I was gay once, so I understand where they're coming from, but good thing I was cured. Like, I mean, <sighs> you could Gosh. Google this, right? Mm. But, and I mean, mm. it's never anything explicitly against them, but you see the implicit bigotry, you know, the implicit, you know, like the ignorance that lies beneath that. And, you know, actions speak louder than words. Um, mm. Like, for example, he, like, not too recently, I mean, not too long ago, rather, he pardoned um, Pemberton, like, Colonel Pemberton. He was a, he was a U.S., I, I guess he was in the U.S. military. He was, he was an officer here who was jailed, who was convicted for killing a transgender woman in the Philippines. Um, mm. the, um, her name was Jennifer Laude, and he had recently pardoned him. I guess that was sometime last year. And of mm. course, that caused an uproar because why would you pardon somebody who committed a hate crime against one of your own? And the crazier thing about this is that Jennifer Laude, so this was a case in 2015. Jennifer Laude was represented by Harry Roque. And Harry Roque used to be, you know, he he used to be one of like the, the most prominent lawyers in the Philippines. You know, he was known as an activist lawyer. He taught in one of the most prestigious law schools in the Philippines, in uh, in the University of the Philippines College of Law. He was also the one who was part of the council, you know, against the arbitration of, you know, the, the West Philippine Sea or the South China Sea, if, if you're familiar with that issue. And so he was the counsel of Jennifer Laude um, against him. And he was the one who made sure that Pemberton was put behind bars. And the crazy thing about this is that Harry Roque today is President Duterte's spokesperson. So he's the spokesperson mm. of the Malacanang Palace. And so imagine that, you know, the, the kind of controversy, you know, you know, the the person who you put behind bars a few years ago is pardoned by your very own, you know, by your very own president, you know, the president that you speak for. And he's he's backtracked on, on a lot of the things that, that he stands for. So again, you know, actions speak louder than words. You know, he's never said anything explicitly against the LGBT community, but definitely the actions show that, you know, there's like the support isn't there. And you know, there's another thing like the the SOGI equality bill. So that's uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, expression equality bill, which is supposed to ensure that you know, like Filipinos aren't discriminated based on their you know gender expression or or their sexual orientation. That has languished, languished rather. So the the SOGI bill has languished in Congress within his mm. administration. And you know, when you hear the stuff that people say during the hearings, like it's so it's so absurd. You know, things like. Oh, I don't see how this benefits the straight people. Oh, I don't like I don't understand why we need this bill when, you know, like when the LGBT wants to be like an elite ruling class of their own. You know, like very absurd comments like those. And so it it really shows how although he's never said anything explicitly against them, his actions and definitely, you know, the way that he is by nature, it's emboldened people with similar views to really, you know, just just come out, like, you know, come out and and be and really go against gender equality and, and things like those. And like down down the road, if this persists, you know, they're just going to embolden more people, you know, more politicians to come into power. And then, you know, like definitely equality rights are gonna take a step back. Wow. That is very depressing to hear. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> I really got into it. <laughs> wow. But I think, um, yeah, I think you're right. He has never really been um, public about any support for the LGBT, but his actions obviously show otherwise, right? Which is basically this dude does not care. Exactly. Like he doesn't really pay attention to homosexual um, issues concerning the LGBT community, and um, coming from a person who who looks and behaves as a misogynistic man, exactly. you also don't expect that from him. But at the same time, you are a political leader, and therefore you have the responsibility to do that. And you're not practicing that. It's absolutely. Yeah. This bears repeating, though. He is Philipp- the Philippines is um, Trump. Basically, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah, been exactly. said a lot before, but you know, it bears repeating. I'd say. But like, um, Sam, what do you think it would be like post Duterte? Like, say, what if Manny Pacquiao wins the next presidential race? Oh, we know how he loves the LGBT community, right? Right. Like, you know, he loves them so much. He says that they're worse than animals, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So it's a great thing that you mentioned that because actually this week. It's, it's an important time in Philippine politics because this week is actually the filing of the certificates of candidacy for the next national elections, which takes place next year in 2022. So they're definitely, you know, like, so basically this is when people file their candidacy for president, for vice president and for, mm-hmm. you know, the national, like for, for the national Senate. So definitely um, Manny Pacquiao is on his way to, you know, filing his filing his uh, certificate of, of candidacy for, for sure. And it's such an important and pivotal moment in time that a lot of what happens, you know, to the LGBT community and for gender equality in general is it, a lot of it rests on what happens next year. So when you have somebody like, you know, like Manny Pacquiao, who's running for, for president and, you know, he, who, who might win and actually, you know, the, the thought of him being the president of, of the Philippines, that's definitely going to set, you know, it's definitely going to set a precedent for, for whatever happens to, you know, to, to the LGBT community or, or you know, even, even to, to women. And again, like if this continues, if the same people are emboldened and, there's, and the same people are put into power, then it's definitely going to take, you know, steps back, maybe even further behind than what, whatever we had achieved maybe 10, 15 years ago. Mm. Well, this has been actually really engaging stuff, but I'm afraid in the interest of time, we should wrap it up. Okay, so um, so based on everything that you've seen, how would you compare the situation in the Philippines to other countries? Yeah, okay, so back to your question. You know, I think that definitely on the surface, the Philippines has come out as probably if not the most tolerant, then one of the most tolerant countries, especially in Asia Pacific. You know, I remember there was a survey that came out years ago that we were actually the most tolerant of LGBT people, you know, in, in, in the region. But then again, you know, a lot of it is, is, is on, is, it's, it's on the surface. It doesn't really say anything about, you know, about actual, um, gender acceptance. You know, there's, there's poor understanding still of what, L, what, what it means to be LGBT. You know, there isn't room for gray areas. You know, a lot of people still think that being gay or being bisexual or being a lesbian or being, you know, whatever, whatever you identify as, you know, it's, it's still seen as unusual. It's still seen as, um, it's seen as deviant to, to the norm, definitely, unless you're able to prove or serve, you know, serve whatever purpose you do to them. So, yes. It's definitely room to improve on, but yeah. Right. Being LGBT isn't a crime here, but, you know, still, People, yeah, they definitely still suffer from stigma and prejudice and, and all that. And discrimination. Discrimination, correct. And hate. Hate speech. <laughs> right. Uh, don't we all? Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much, Sam, for oh, um, you guys. coming in as, a, as our guest today. Yeah. You really sold me on Bea. Bea, is that? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's her- yeah, I'm yeah. gonna. I'm totally gonna root for her uh, at the hey. next Miss Universe, and th- of course, given if Miss Indonesia's candidate doesn't make it to the final rounds, which we don't, you know, we never do. <laughs> so, oh, I, here's hoping we all make it to the, well, <laughs> to the final. As round. Christina Aguilera once said, "What did you she know? say?" Huh? No. What did she say? <laughs> oh, we're all beautiful. <laughs> okay, right, right. I thought this is like a thing that kind of explains itself, but 
Oh, yeah. sorry about that. You know, it took me a minute there. Right, right. I did not expect that reference coming from you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had her tape, okay, back in the 90s. So, and okay. on that note, thank you, Sam. Um, have a great week. No, and, thank um, you, guys. We'll speak no. to you again soon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 So yeah, that was sad, infuriating, but you know, at the same time, I was quite inspired by how Bea has reacted to all the hate by basically just shutting them out and just living her life. Yeah, I think one of the things I noticed is how mentally resilient she's been through this. Mm. Because mm-hmm. the comments can be very harsh and if you read too much into it and you let that affect you, like that kind of shit can break you, man. And the fact that she can still, you know, remain poised and I'm seeing her appearing in all these like interviews and she still seem positive and yeah, she's just get it together. I think yeah, she's strong, like, stronger. Like, yeah, she's really think. strong. Like, mm-hmm. like, like you said, she has the resilience and, you know, she's probably going to take this momentum with her onto the... Um, Miss Universe. Um, yeah. Could be the next Miss Unifer- Universe from the Philippines. If I yeah, had a few already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not impossible for Philippines. I mean, not. I mean, uh, it's another story for like Singapore. <laughs> but with Philippines, yeah, I, I have hope for Philippines. <laughs> yeah. I'm personally hoping that you know, the next Miss Universe will be the first to be openly um, bisexual. Yeah, I think it's about time. That'd be nice. Mm. Anyway, that's all the time we have for this week been a pleasure mm-hmm. Nora. yeah man i will hope to be on coconuts podcast again but someone will be back next week <laughs> yay okay and all for you not being here next week but anyway well, i'll see you next week then bye-bye all right bye thanks for listening if you'd like to support coconuts and our weird and wondrous stories you can become a coco plus member at coconuts.co slash membership make a patron payment at coconuts.co slash patron or buy a fresh merch at the Coconut Shop at shop.coconuts.co. Need something to go on your head? How about your wall? We've just dropped some limited edition exclusive merch for our 10th anniversary. Check them out at shop.coconuts.co. Subscribe to the podcast and leave reviews. Tell us how you feel and what you like and don't like. We're excited to hear from you. The Coconuts Podcast delivers impactful, weird, and wondrous reporting by a journalist on the ground in eight cities. Singapore, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Manila, Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, Yangon, and Bali. Listen to headline news and insightful interviews on matters large and small designed for people located in or curious about Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. The Coconuts Podcast is a Coconuts Media production. Our hosts are Nurul Aslia and Andra Nasri. Our executive producer is Byron Perry. Our production manager is Clarissa Cortez. And our editor is Paul Medina. Paul Medina.